Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 40, Beautiful Conversations. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Power of Change Mobile Shedquarters here in Melrose, Massachusetts. Yes, we are coming to you here from the Boston metro area for a special episode with some friends who are doing a great work for the kingdom of God. I'm here today in the studio, and they do have a nice studio of Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose with Pastor Matthew Cruz and Patty Roselle. Are you a deacon? Do you have a title, ecclesiastical title? No. I'm going to call you Deacon Patty Roselle. <laughs> uh, get that done, Matthew, co-hosts of a podcast in ministry called Kalos Conversations. And their podcast has this goal. They exist to help churches mobilize women that Jesus is giving them to believe the gospel, embrace their callings as women, become disciple-making forces, right? I love that, in their homes, in their churches, and in their cities. Now, Matthew, I've known you for a little bit, gosh, over a decade probably now, and through church planting uh, with the Acts 29 Network here in the Northeast, place that I miss probably uh, weekly. It's a little cold up here now, though, so I don't miss it quite as much. Uh, but I'm here with these guys today so that you out there might get to know what they're doing on their podcast and in their church, and that it might expand a little bit, even their influence throughout uh, the world. Well, Matthew, I know uh, I know you, Patty, I know you a little bit, but I wanted to start today by just asking you to introduce yourselves and a little bit about yourself, something interesting. Uh, I just listened to one of their episodes where they shared about themselves in beautifully unique ways, so you can listen to that. Uh, but today, just in the basics, Patty, how about you go first? Tell us about yourself, your family, your ministry. Yes, so I am Patty Roselle, and I have been um, married for 16 years to Rob. And we have four children, so our oldest is 12, we have three boys, 12, 9, and 7, and then we have a little girl who's uh, four and a half. She's going to be well taken care of. She is. She is well taken care of and strong as nails, that's for sure. Love it. Um, So yeah, we've been part of Seven Mile Road, and I've been um, a member of the church for about 14 years. So we've been kind of in the trenches with church planning as a lay person, as a member, as a um, person on mission with um, Matthew and, and the entire team. So it's been a real joy. And in the years that we've been here, I've um, kind of grown and developed. So I'm trained as a clinical social worker and did that work for a little bit of time and then made the decision to come home and to put all my energies into our home and our children as we had more of them. Yeah. <laughs> and it in those years as a young mom, I really kind of came alive to the gospel in a in a deeper way and biblical literacy became just a passion of mine as mm. I needed mm. the word to yeah. care for my family. The three boys coming right away will Ab- do that too. Absolutely. <laughs> there was a desperation needed yeah, to yeah. understand that. So and I think in that the Lord did kind of a passion for the local church. And as I kind of just served in whatever was needed, yeah. um, that's kind of how I I come to kind of be in the place I am now is just working out whatever God had before me. And um, and then there's also the beautiful reality that Matt saw some giftings in me yeah. and invited me into that. And so that's sort of how um, I ended up doing the work that I get to do wonderful, now. Wonderful, wonderful. 
I have a brother, and then my cousin had, were a three boy family. The five of us grew up together, and we terrorized our mother. So we will, we will pray for you. There's a little bit. Those of that. man babies <laughs> turn into teenagers. They're going to be uh, eating eating lots of food and uh, growing in grace. So. Matthew, a little bit about you. Seven Mile Road, it's a weird church name. Tell us about that first, and then a little bit about your story. Yeah, only the super, super Bible geeks get the Seven Mile Road reference off the top. It's actually when we were choosing a name for this church that just surprisingly uh, got birthed and moved to viability. What are we going to call this thing? We fell in love with the story from Luke's Gospel, that 24th chapter, where those discouraged and downcast disciples come across Christ risen, and he walks them through um, the import of his death and resurrection, and they get so fired up. So walking with Jesus on a road that was seven miles, did you have to transfer that from some ancient measurement, like this many cubits or something to get there? You just measured on a map today. We did have some knuckleheads say, hey, if we plant in Canada, will it be an (laughs) 11-kilometer road or what? (laughs) But if you go to Luke 24-1, you'll see that the village called Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem. The road to Emmaus. The story is our DNA, and we grabbed the name from there. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So we've been at this work for a little while. Early 2000s is when the church was, was born. I'm a Boston kid. Grew up in Revere and Everett, which are gateway cities just north of Boston. You know, 10-minute drive from, uh, from where the Celtics play. We might get the word wicked out of Matt today. A couple you, of times. Matthew I'm going to try and tone that down for your <laughs> listeners. I'm saying, do I need to pronounce these R's? Uh, so do your thing. Can, do your thing. They can understand. Uh, as a teenager, came to like real real gospel wakefulness, was just born again at a church on the Revere Beach Parkway. Surprising left turn into church planting. Uh, Part of it was just I had come so alive to the gospel myself. Uh, Part of it was a deep love for the people living in this area. These are just, these are my folks, you know, townies living just north of Boston. Right, New New England natives. Yeah. There's a lot of transplantation internationally in this metro, but there are there are Bostonians, and you're one of them, trying to reach some of them. Yeah, if you come to Seven Mile Road that we lead on a Sunday, uh, half of those people are more are sort of born and raised, and the other half are kind of here to stay. Yeah. So just have this really deep, I believe, spirit-born love for those people and want them to have a viable witness to the gospel. So leading a church and living in a house that's a mile or so from where I grew up has been a gift to us. Mm. Uh, married for 23 years. Also, four children, two sons, two daughters, three teenagers. <laughs> so the house is exhausting and awesome and awful and all those yeah, things. Yeah, and moving, all, moving all the time, right? Yeah, all combined. Yeah, and uh, man, you got guts getting in a plane in Virginia and flying <laughs> north to New England in late January <laughs> to come be with us. You know, it's weird. The last I think three years, I've been kind of doing a New England trip this type of okay, year. Yeah. It all it's all surrounded with the Brown University wrestling team. I've, I'm a little bit friends with the coach there and a campus ministry there, right. and so I come to try to watch a match, go to a wrestling practice speak at some campus things and then i try to add some things on the side i've preached for pinckney um certainly privileged to be here with you guys today in the mobile shed quarters here in melrose massachusetts thanks for introducing yourselves to us uh your church obviously matthew matthew is one of the guys encouraged us we moved from the south to the north to new jersey uh, spent about uh, almost a decade in that project planting uh, one church multiple churches in the state of new jersey and matthew was a super encouragement uh to to me when people were like you know how are you gonna make the adjustment he's like bro new jersey's not that bad and i tell you what it ain't that bad i love jersey don't say nothing bad about jersey my presence i'll step to it Well, our podcast is dedicated to creating a dialogue in the borderlands between the church and culture. And 
historically borderlands have been defined where you know sometimes there's warfare sometimes there's kind of peoples interacting in a in a common space if you think of say world war ii you know the place between france and germany was very con- contested now borderlands are interesting because sometimes there's beautiful wonderful cultural mixes that happen other times there's a little friction where ways of doing life and seeing the world are are different and so our our goal with the gospel underground is to try to help the church uh, live well in those borderlands, and certainly uh, the area of male and female, made in the image of God, men and women, sexuality is a, a discussion right now in our society that has a pretty interesting borderland, as it were, with the church and culture. In New England, certainly, you guys are on the cutting uh, age of societal evolution in terms of what a man and a woman is. Uh, Connecticut uh, track and field championship, biological dudes winning the female 100 meters, things like that. We did a podcast on that here on the Underground in light of that, you guys are dedicated to uh, Kalos conversations, beautiful conversations, good conver- uh, conversations about what a man is, what a woman is, in particular how women can be unleashed for kingdom service in a culture like in New England. How did you arrive at the name, and what is your podcast and ministry about? K- Kalos is a Kalos. transliteration <laughs> of a Greek word. I know we're pronouncing it wrong. We like the long syllables. Yeah, you're saying it like an syllables. American. That's okay. Yeah, right? all right. Yeah. That's, that's what we we're do. We're not Greek speakers. Not. Uh, but we really pulled it from uh, the text of Titus 2, where uh, the apostle, inspired by the Spirit, is encouraging the older women in the life of this, the church in this city to teach and train the younger women in what is good. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a, that word kalos is what's embedded in that text, and then he begins to unpack for them what it looks like to adorn the gospel with an embrace of their femininity, their feminine callings, and says, get in the trenches with new believers in these churches on this island of Crete and walk them through the glory, the beauty, the goodness of what God has done in assigning to them their sexuality and how they can bring him glory and themselves joy by saying yes to it. That's kalos. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird Greek word, actually. It's only one time in the whole New Testament, and it's kind of a smashing together of an adjective and a teacher, teacher of good things, kind of the way it comes together, and certainly making the gospel beautiful, right? The gospel is beautiful in itself, but it seems to say that the way we live our lives can adorn it or, or focus to it. And so, Patty, how do you see, uh, the, the role of women in adorning the gospel, uh, and making it kalos? Well, one of the things that I think we want to draw out or invite women into is first to kind of go back to the beginning and go back to Genesis and and have them see that their value is just there because they're made in God's image. And before we behave or before we act or before we walk out our obedience, then we need to just receive first that that's just reality. That's who we are. That's what God has said we are, that we're made in his image, that we get to be that reflection of him. And then specifically, as we move through Genesis and we see that men and women were created of equal value, but with a different assignment. And so the assignment of being a woman is looks different in our world. And so as we talk about adorning the gospel or living that out, we really want to fuse together the gospel so as a woman comes to receive and see her need and her sin and then walk into faith because God has called her out of her sin and into faith then there is a way that her obedience is going to look that's going to again adorn bring light to bring beauty to that truth of grace 
So that's very interesting in light of a, in a society that thinks that a person is defined mainly by themselves. Uh, sort of nobody is a self-defined person. There are cultural forces defining each other all the time. But you're saying go back to the design of God first, and then out of that flows our walking in obedience to, to Jesus as a woman or a man in our various callings. Design before obedience. I like that. Yeah, and I think that's the piece that is always a surprise. I think even women who have been a Christian or have received the gospel to see that their femininity really matters when yeah. it relates to mission, too. That, that it's important. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. we talk a lot about this, but sometimes we, we talk about gospel and mission a lot, and we miss the interplay of the middle part, whether yeah. it's femininity or masculinity, that right. there are distinct ways in which you get to, that God has kind of authored in a way that's going to bring forth his glory. And so when we talk about Kalos and we look at those obediences in Titus and the way in which um, we can walk out, it's going to be a very um, unique way. And in no way is that less than. Right. It has deep value and requires incredible strength. Right, right. There's a a beautiful freedom that happens. And even as a, a young man, this happened. I grew up, my dad's an atheist. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, what was a man? Oh, well, I was just learning that from locker rooms in the street or whatever. Uh, and then when you, when you come to Christ and you start opening the Bible, you start to say, oh my goodness, I'm not alone on this, that God in his wisdom made us male and female. And then that gives us purpose to step into these, these callings. And women aren't greater than men. Men aren't greater than women. There's not this battle that we should engage but a beautiful uh, symphony that we play together in our homes and in the churches and in, in our mission together. And I think the word to teach what is good uh, is, uh, is a beautiful expression of that. Now, you guys work together in this, pastor, a man, a, a woman. I, I made you a deacon. I, should, I probably shouldn't have done that, but um, <laughs> maybe she should be. But um, you guys are working together on this and then sharing that story with others. How has your partnership um, been a blessing to you both first and then effect, effective to lead the church? So, I mean, the background on how this came to be and Patty came to be serving in this way, over the course of about a year, maybe three or four years ago, some of the holiest, most devoted most trustworthy women in life of our church basically came to me with two different questions and um, just say, hey, can we, can we catch up on this? And they were these two things. One was, we hear you talk from the pulpit about biblical sexuality, masculinity, femininity, but nobody's ever actually taken the time to walk the women of the church through. What do we mean by that? Where are we getting that from? How do I adorn the gospel if God has made me a woman bearing his image? And then the second thing was, hey, we want to partner fully with you in the advance of the gospel in this church. And we have experiences, insights, gifts, time on our hands. And it's just unclear. Education, training, yeah. And with no pride at all, but saying, we want to be fully mobilized to help you. And, and no one sat with us and taught us, like, what does that look like? How, yeah. how do we disciple women? How do we partner with our pastors? So... Uh, with a listening ear to these women who I trusted deeply would take a bullet for and believe that what they were saying was something that the Spirit was saying in the life of our local church at the time. We gave about a year of saying, how can we um, work on answering some of these tensions that they have? Out of that was birthed a year-long discipleship track, which is one of the things that we walk through in our podcast, where we invited six or seven women 
to come spend the year with myself and another one of our pastors and say, let's get in the Bible, let's get in each other's lives, and let's work this thing out together. Now, Patty, approaching a pastor, sometimes women are like, oh, should I do that? Or you, obviously, you're, you're very courageous. I, I heard that you were a five foot three uh, lacrosse goalie, so obviously <laughs> you have no fear. Um, what would you encourage um, other ladies out there who are feeling this? Because a lot of times there are pastors who are men who aren't specifically trying to neglect the women of their church, but maybe they're just missing it, right? How, how would you encourage people to, do, to make that approach uh, like you did? Yeah, well, I think there's a piece of humility that needs to come first. I think we have to, as women, just sort of check, uh, check where we're at in terms of our motivation and our heart. And I think when we, the group of women that kind of brought some of these ideas forward purely wanted to be involved because they saw the mission at hand. They saw what, what right. needed to happen to advance the gospel. And so that would be a first start. I think generally there can be moments when we individually want to make a case and push our, our agendas forward, and we have to check that and see and just ask the Lord to kind of help us to see what our motivation is. Because so, that can be a conversation starter, or it can be a conversation killer, really, right, from that right. first conversation. So that would be that first in praying, of course, that you would be ready to, to start that. And then with confidence, I think, going to the pastors and giving a vision for that we no way want to take over, which sometimes can feel like that, but we want to partner with. And I think having women begin to articulate what that may look like or give some ideas, but then listen really well to the context and the culture of the church in a way that asking him what he needs help with. What as a leader, as an executive team, yeah. where are those holes where you're naturally going to miss discipling half the church? Because as men, we, you will have blind spots. That's right. If we're going That's to right. hold the distinction, there's going to be things we're going to see very differently. So I think that encouraging women to just recognize that their value is, um, is strong and they can go in that conversation and begin to, to have, those, have those asks yeah. in a way that, that, again, is focused on the mission. Um, and less about a competition or um, one person getting ahead. And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of pastors are waiting for women yeah, to make yeah. that ask and to come alongside. Yeah. Um, and so I would encourage women to just think on that. And That's really interesting the way you stated that at the end there is is that uh, it's not about somebody getting a platform or, or, you know, making something about this is my ministry, but how are we going to serve this church and this mission together as women uh, and to lead well? And so you mentioned uh, in our kind of pregame conversation around the table here before we got uh, broadcasting live, uh, live for us, you mentioned there's like in women's ministry, there's kind of like, yeah, hey, let's have tea and toast and make it the most or something. And then <laughs> what, you're, what you're more attracted to, which is more robust theology and mission and Bible, uh, how do you address that if you have, say, women in the same church that want kind of both of those? Well, I mean, I think, I think there is certainly a personality preference that can happen, but I think women deep down are longing to understand the ways of God. And I think when they don't know their Bibles, and so biblical literacy becomes the open door to that. And I think when we open our Bibles and begin to show women that it's accessible to them, that they can read it and understand it because they have the Spirit and the Spirit's going to bring to light what they need to know and what they need to see, then that begins, this opens this whole nother world. And I think in a lot of women's ministry, it's been gospel light or Bible light. And so we, I think there's such a need to just bring that forward. And you can still have a beautiful 
connection tea or you can, yeah, you, know, yeah. you can whatever that platform may <laughs> different be different personalities can express their gifts in those things absolutely but we all as women need to know theology and you i think we God all is. need to know yeah. the bible and we have to come to it and understand that it is active and living and it is the very breath of god and i think giving women that vision is is right. uh, there's a lot that comes from just the I would say I would say the basics, but I think a lot of women haven't had that vision yeah, and that it's yeah. accessible to them yeah. and that they can think. That- and, and there's an interesting paradigm, right, where some would say, and this is crosses male and female, like what do people need? Well, they need practical helps to live their life as a Christian. So what, what are the callings of a man or a woman? And let's help them with that. Rather than having a paradigm that says, who is our God? What is the gospel? And then walking in that in these various callings. It's very different because you miss the big picture in the, in the theological vision of God that really keeps the heart uh, fresh hopeful, persevering through the suffering of, you know, three boys when they're all little running around your home. Um, rather than like, hey, I need some, you know, five steps to be a great mom. I need who is God? What has he done for me? How does the spirit lead me and sustain me? And then, man, I'm walking into this house or this place of work uh, to serve. Yeah. And I think your definition of who you are as a woman becomes a lot clearer when you hold that strong view of who God is. Because if we're at the center and we're looking to just build out our practical tools to get through the day, we're still living in our flesh. And I think right. we're trying to teach and, and inspire our women to see that the Bible has everything that they need. And it is extremely practical and it takes hard work to get to the core of what it means to understand it. Amen. I always loved the C.S. Lewis line in the Narnia books where he called, uh, Aslan calls her daughter of Eve. Mm. It's like such a high regal calling and purpose there that's expressed. I know my daughters have benefited from those books as well. So let, let me ask you guys a question. How, what would you say to folks, I want to get better equipped in this? Matthew, I know you're a learner. Um, what are some of the things, uh, places in Scripture perhaps, books, resources, people teaching today? Because obviously when you're, when you're looking at male-female issues, even within, say, Bible-believing Christians, there's a spectrum, right, um, between— Folks that have women elders, those that don't, um, we kind of are living in a complementary war- world where male and female together serving in various different roles, equal value. What are some of the voices that would you would recommend uh, on the on these issues? Um, so I, the the big pillars of what we're seeking to do in discipling this women revolve around the three things of believe, adorn, advance. It all starts with believing the gospel, the stuff we had just been talking about, but it doesn't leap over your sexuality, adorning the gospel with or hit a mute button on it right to okay so how can i start doing ministry in fact we are totally convinced from the scriptures that for a woman her advancing of the gospel emerges from her embrace of her callings as a woman as a wife and a mom from her home that's ground zero for her uh, usefulness to the church as she gives herself there and then from the overflow of that comes advancing the gospel in the household of god in the bigger life of the church and so we're constantly trying to hold those three together in that order because we believe that's the clear teaching of Scripture on how women can have their deepest joy and be the most useful to the church and bring God the most glory. Um, then, And this is not a joke of an answer. We would say, <laughs> go to the Bible. Yeah, yeah. So the heart of our track. Well, if that ever becomes a joke answer, let's well, just, what are we doing? Or right? a pat like, answer. Come on. Like. Or, or uh, the, the absolute heart of our track is that the first thing that we do on each of the sessions through the year is go to the scriptures together and spend a bunch of time saying, 
What does it say? What does it mean? Do I believe it and love it? And how do I live it? So for us, Genesis 1 and 2, Ephesians 5. The narrative design, the, the marriage uh, mirroring of the gospel in Ephesians. First Peter 3. Yeah, yeah. Acts 16 with Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Church planning together. Titus 2. First Timothy 2. Romans 16, that impossibly wonderful back and forth list of the men and women that he had labored with. Philippians 4, Philippians 4, where he says, hey, you got to help Yodi and Syntyche get along. They are my co-laborers in the gospel. Even something as simple as the book of Luke, where just in a simple paragraph, he says, and here's who was with Jesus doing work. It was the apostles in their unique calling. And then women, women who had been uh, freed of demons, women who had been healed. And here they are helping that work to happen. Yeah, it sounded like they had a lot of money, too. We are, right? <laughs> yeah, they were, they were probably a lot of businesswomen and people that could have means to support mission and ministry. And probably five other texts. That's where the life is in this track, primarily, first and foremost. So, Fantastic. so we can't encourage people more on the sufficiency of Scripture, the perspicuity or the understandableness of Scripture. The greatest joy that we have had, that I have had as a pastor, is sitting in the room, kicking those words up on the whiteboard and saying, Let's see what God has said about who you are and what he's called you to. So first and foremost, and not as a pat answer, really is the clear teaching yeah. of Scripture. Right? And, and the fact that you guys, and by the way, um, Patty was uh, lip, lipping passages that Matthew didn't get. She was telling him the right ones to include. Um, wonderful seeing that, that you guys have a mastery of those texts. You know where you're going. And uh, that's that's much more than a pat answer. That's like, here's the Bible, these spots specifically. And even if you're listening in, man, go back and take notes down. There's right there. Do a, do a study yourselves of these things, uh, male or female. Then from there, we do have a bunch of readings that supplement our study of Scripture. So then we could talk about who our favorites are. But someone like <laughs> Elizabeth Elliot, yeah. uh, who's not with us anymore, who right. is just a bold ferocious force for gospel advance. One of the earliest Christian books I ever read as a new convert was one of her books because I I was dating a girl for the first time as a Christian. And so I was trying to keep my hands on myself. And she wrote a book called Passion and Purity, (laughs) which is pretty hardcore, man. I felt like I was like a Christian mom give me a beat down for my uh, lack of understanding of what I was doing. But it was helpful uh, in a a kind of a kind of rigid, but kind of awesome way. And yeah, the no nonsense approach that she has that just kind of stops you in your tracks to say, yeah. do you or do you not believe yeah. that God in his wisdom and his love and his goodness has assigned to you your callings as a woman? Yes or no? She kind of puts that question to you. <laughs> and we want our women to go, whoa, I do. And then from there, the floodgates of, of beautiful gospel stuff happens. So there's authors thread throughout the track, both men and women, some theological, some practical, that are supplementing our vision of what it means for a woman to believe, adorn, and advance the gospel in the life of the local church. Okay. Now, I know you guys have been working hard to make these uh, kind of resources uh, accessible, available. Uh, Where do they go to find your curriculum? Where where should they uh, head the podcast? Where do they find that? I guess iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. (laughs) Yes, that would be. So our podcast is called Kalos Conversations. And the, the first kind of eight episodes are that foundational philosophical kind of vision for what we're going for and what we're doing. And then as you move beyond that, you'll hear the very practical. You'll kind of hear us walk through the track night by night. And we kind of break it up over two episodes. So you hear a vision and then you hear the we actually open and read scripture on the podcast. And you'll hear us talk through all those passages that 
um, Matt talked about before. And and so the podcast really is kind of like an e-course if you're really yeah, thinking yeah. about getting a vision for how you can work together, but also just how do you equip your women in a way that's not only giving them resources, but it's giving them a vision. And then it's also a relational connection yeah. as well. So spending a year together, I think it's it's crucial. We lead the track together, which we didn't I don't know if we mentioned that before, but that is a unique way that the women sit around. Usually we have five to six women a year and it's a school year, September to May. And it is oftentimes four hours once a month of um, sitting with Matt and I. So they get to experience kind yeah. of the pastoral um, warmth that and he really gets to know them. And yeah. then I can offer kind of another perspective and, and another kind of ally in the process. But we're really trying to model that we're learning from each other in this and yeah. that we're deeply getting embedded in each other's lives. So start with uh, season one of the podcast and move forward. If you're a woman in the church who's got a passion for this and pastor. Now, Matthew, let me let me add. So you're committed to this ongoing. It's not like you piloted it together did the first year, and then you, you're out. You're still continually involved. Yeah, one of the great joys uh, for me through the last few years of doing this has been um, not feeling like I am kicking discipleship of our women off to someone else that, in a small way, but a really um, impactful way, I am sitting with and listening to and getting to know and understand and love the women that Jesus has given under my care as a pastor better. And I am winning the hearts of this, these women to not just the gospel, but to, to me personally as a shepherd, so that they might be great ambassadors to the women that we are meeting in our mission. I mean, remember yeah. where we are. So as we love and engage all set on gospel Bostonians. And when they say all set, they mean like, I got what I need. I'm all set. Yes. Right? Yeah, I had to a, figure that out by myself a while back, man. That's, that's <laughs> the, 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 the typical person that we are uh, seeking to reach through the original Seven Mile Road that, I'm, that I continue to lead. We call them the all set, ungospel Bostonians. Yeah. All set meaning, come Secularized, on. Secularized, I have enough money. I got like, my health. I got my one I got my two money. kids. Yeah. I got my cable TV to watch the Celts <laughs> and the Bruins. <laughs> yeah. I do my vacations. Go Pats. Yeah. And ungospeled. Many of them do not have a Christian friend. Many of them went to a religion 101 class 20 years ago in college and feel like I'm all set with that. And so they do not have a regular, clear, compelling witness to the glory of Christ in their life. Yeah. And so equipping and mobilizing these women to be with us in advancing the mission of the church um, has been fantastic. We're also in a transient area. So many of us have planted our flag and said, hey, it's going to cost us a bunch, but we're here to stay. Many seven milers are here for three to five to seven years before moving back or on to something else. And so we need to constantly be equipping disciple makers if we're going to be faithful to the mission that we're called to long term. So in multiple different kinds of tracks, one of which is this Kalos track, we are trying to help people to believe the gospel, adorn the gospel, advance the gospel, and know what we're going for. And relational intimacy is one of our five essentials. You spend four hours, 10, 12 times in a room saying, how's your soul? Yeah. What does the Bible say? What God might be calling you to? And you form relational bonds that stick. Yeah. And people in our area have never seen a, a, a community function like that. 
Yeah. So we're trying to invite them into that. Because you guys are less in the borderlands. You're kind of more of an enclave behind the lines, so to speak, where your your homes, right, the way you love each other as a church is a magnifying glass to the God, as it should be, as it's biblical. But, you know, you go certain places in the country where there's a whole lot of Christians compared to here. Um, it's not so uh, stark of a contrast where there's kind of maybe an unhealthy blending between the church and the world. Here— to, to live biblical womanhood would, would seem probably insane, then probably attractive and very different than, than the rush that, that people are seeing around them. Yeah, and I think a lot of our women, they've been really brought up in feminism. And so at point value, that feels empowering. That feels um, like that's the way to think and that there isn't any alternatives. And so I think when we begin to instruct and inspire and have our women live in a way that is faithful to the Bible, and it is radically hospitable and it is loving and kind and open that when women who have never experienced that begin to interact, they don't know what to do with it. And they begin to ask that question, what is the source of this? Because it's yeah. just so lovely. I, I would imagine you may get some disdain or some down looking or like you're less than, say, a, a woman here. How do you guys traverse that? Uh, to where, you know, because I would be like, well, I'm educated and smart and I'm just choosing to be with my children. You know, how do you how do you wrestle with that living in a place like Boston Metro? I think it's long term relational commitment to stick with people. And I think for them to see your life being lived out over many, many seasons um, becomes the witness. And it is admits a lot of disagreement or them not agreeing with what we believe continue to stick with them. There's a lot of women. I have one woman in particular that I'm friends with and her daughter and I and my daughter are friends. And we see things very differently. She would be a staunch feminist, but somehow the spirit has drawn us together. And we have this deep friendship and connection that is really emotional and, and deep. And yet she often is asking me, she cannot reconcile the ideas she has of Christians or the ideas she has of Christ does not measure up to what she's experiencing with me. With you. And so that, I think, is the compelling witness that we want to... Because there's a societal narrative of what Christians are positioned to be, whatever that may be, but then there's the countercultural narratives of a friend living life up close. I do trainings all over the country on college campuses as well as uh, with churches and church leaders to how to share the gospel, and you're, you're describing it beautifully, Patty. I'm going to live amongst people, share your life, share the gospel, right? Listen to people's questions, give them answers for the reasons, that, the hope that you have when they ask you why you're not a feminist, and then repeat that over time. Families. Uh, homes on the block, in the parks, in the schools. These are the places we live that beautiful witness. And I love you guys for it, man. I love the vision here. We've also had to, I mean, we made a call several years ago to say, as a church in general, and with this specific venture, we're not going to play scared. We're not going to do it. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. Um, We're going to trust him if there's some difficulty that comes of it, but we fear him. And we trust him and we love our neighbor enough to call them to what he has for them. And so uh, the women going through this track, the pastors saying, yes, we're going to do this. Uh, Rob and Patty, Grace and I, all of us have had to kind of have a gut check and say, we're going to go for this for the glory of God, whatever it may have. But when we're done, no one's going to be able to say we kind of played scared. 
We're right. just going to be bold and humble, and we're going to make some mistakes along the way. And I'm <laughs> terrified to oh, listen to yeah. the podcast sometimes because I'm like, oh, yeah. oh man, why didn't that get edited? <laughs> so we're going to be imperfect at it. Right. But I want these people to stand before Christ on his day and say, you sent us a witness. Yeah, yeah. Those people were willing to sacrifice and to work and to hustle so that a city on a hill could have been planted just north of Boston, where if we had been of interest, we would have been discipled. They, they were there for us. That's kind of what we're trying to take in everything that we're doing in building a church and this track and training as well. Yeah, I love it. Not scared. It, it, every, every newcomer's class we had in New Jersey, someone would ask us questions about these type of things. And we said, no, we believe male and female in the image of God, marriage in the way God describes it, children, family. We believe that's good for human beings. So we're not like backing off on this because it might not sound good to you. Uh, but you'll have to taste and see for yourself what this looks like. And then that's where the gospel community living that out is super helpful. We also just want to emphasize that this is not a short-term um, process with women, with anyone in your training in the church. It is a long-term commitment. And there's also just seasons. And so as we talk about what, what we talk about, the podcast sort of expands on this. But we mentioned a lot about motherhood and being a wife. That is a season of life um, that is often a very intense season. But we also don't want to miss that as singles, you can also be hospitable and endure in the gospel. And as an empty nester, you can yeah. do the same thing. And so that, that there is a place that as we come together as women, we can begin to sort of look at the diversity of the calling that you're currently situated right. in. And that is going to um, be a specific way in which you walk that out, you walk out living out the gospel. Yeah, and yeah. the wisdom is, um, even going back when we look at Titus and we see the older women instructing the younger women, it's kind of crazy when we think about sometimes that I'm 41 and I feel like I'm one of the older women sometimes. Most of the time right now we've got a young church, but then there's also these older women that also are in our midst that we are learning from and that I'm learning from who've raised their children and are at a very different place. And so how do we begin to also show that community living amongst one another in that diversity that I think is incredibly attractive because we're not siloed towards yeah, one angle. Yeah. And that is, that's a witness. There's all these cultural forces that shift the generations, young and old, against each other and away from each other, either the way we do education or the way we do uh, our social lives together, uh, to blend that where the older person doesn't feel useful, useless, they have something to say, and the younger person has some humility to learn as they go into these uncharted territories. And we actually have Christians and non-Christians listen to this podcast, and one of the things I'd like to say to you out there, if you're maybe not in you know, all this Bible stuff, take a look at the way the world is living, what it means to be a man or a woman, or have relationships that last and that are a blessing to us, and ask yourself the question, is, are we really hitting a home run in America? What I saw growing up was broken homes, fragmentation, confusion, whereas God would bring beauty, clarity, and hope to even our own sexuality and our identity as a man or a woman. You guys have an upcoming conference coming up in May of 2019. Yes, we'll, we'll close out today just to share a little bit of the details on that, and we'll put, if there's a link to register somewhere, I'll put that in the show notes for people who want to do that. Yes, so in May, we're inviting everyone to come up to Boston. It's, yeah, it's, Boston a, it's a fun— <laughs> Good and, luck parking your car next to this building, <laughs> but it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It is a uh, beautiful time um, of the year, and we're inviting folks May 3rd and 4th, um, Saturday being kind of the main event, where we are just asking pastors and women or women interested in bringing uh, a vision to their church or 
um, pastors, ministry leaders kind of coming together as a team to just come join us. You'll receive content. So we're going to be giving some more um, content as it relates to the vision of partnering together for Gospel Advance. The name of the conference is Women as Forces for Gospel yes, Advance. Yes, forces. So, um, so we're trying to kind of break out of um, the idea that even within uh, complementarian or male elder-led churches that, that women are, are so needed yeah, and yeah, useful yeah, yeah. Um, towards seeing the gospel go forward. And we're just really hoping to give both content but then space. So for teams to come, you'll have time to kind of do an audit of what's currently happening in your context, in your church. Um, be able to give some time to give some thoughts as to what is going well, what needs to change, and then really be leaving after our time together with some very practical steps towards implementing um, kind of a vi- this vision for your place. So all of that information can be found at kalosconversations.com slash conference. Um, as well, at the website, you can kind of find all of our episodes and show notes and lots of resources that begin to sort of expand out what we've talked about today. Awesome. Awesome. You know, people are always in process. So wherever you are as a church or a person starting out, examining these things in light of what God might say to you as a woman or a man uh, and how we lead together is the first step. Because I'm sure you guys have looked at some of the titles of your episodes. You're, you're discipling all kinds of women who are at all sorts of different starting points, because you may have someone who's a women's studies major, full-out feminist, wants to kill everybody, come in, or you may have someone who grew up in church and is a little confused and murky about the biblical categories. Wherever people are, we begin there, and we walk faithfully together towards the truth and the light of, of the gospel. Matthew, you got anything for us as we close? No, I mean, I think everybody knows that going to a conference can be a waste of time, or it can be an immensely valuable investment. And there's something that happens when you step away from your context to clear your head, to devote yourself prayerfully, to listen and engage and think about what the Lord's called you to, that is worth the investment of time. And especially if you're a pastor of a church who's saying, I want to be a, a good shepherd to the women that Jesus is giving me and giving us, and I want to see them embracing their femininity with gladness so that homes may thrive. And then the overflow of that, this, this big home, the household of God that I'm leading, may thrive. Um, and I could use some help in just thinking on what are the nuances of that? What are some things that we could do? Uh, we are never asking people to do everything exactly like we do it. Right. We do it with Bostonian flair, Bostonian parlance, <laughs> in a specific context. You do it wicked nice. <laughs> but we are hopeful. See, I, I stayed away from that word in this whole, co- whole I probably podcast. abused it a couple of good words that it. Bostonians don't, but yeah. But the bigger thing, our aim is to say, can we love you, and can we lead you to the clear teaching of Scripture? And as the Spirit illuminates those words for you in community, maybe the next 10 years of your church will be an amazing advance of the gospel in the lives of and through the lives of the women that Jesus has given you. Um, A night and a day of giving yourself to that, paying attention to that, and coming with some women who can sit with you and say, this is what my lived experience has been in this church. How can we do this better? We really are putting our effort into it because we think that it'll be wicked worthwhile. Ah, there you go. (laughs) Double W is wicked worthwhile. Thank you guys so much for coming on today, Pastor Matt. I don't know if you have women deacons or not, but Deacon Patty (laughs) at your church. But uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Strength and courage to the journey ahead and how you serve. You're married, your spouses, you have children. You're active here in the church. Thank you for your witness. 
Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've been blessed by it today. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes, five stars. I'm sure Kalos Conversations could use some five-star reviews as well. Hit them up, send your comments, feedback, and or questions you might just want us to take up on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands or behind enemy lines between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there. Peace.